0: Are we having special music? No? Oh, okay. I saw all those instruments. I thought we was having something coming. I hate I hate to miss that. <clears throat> Let me pray for Kyle and turn him loose. Father, thank you for this opportunity, for Kyle's willingness to uh, share your word this morning. I just pray that you would... Uh, Give him the words to speak and the peace and uh, comfort that he needs to do this sermon justice this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. As always, I hope everyone's had a good week before we meet together. I normally wish that you get to spend some time outside, but as hot as it was, I doubt anyone really enjoyed that. I was telling Caitlin yesterday on our way to Harrisonville, I never would have thought 82 would seem like a cold front was moving in, but (laughs) my goodness, it's always a challenge, isn't it, as we go through life here. You know, I was trying to think about a story that kind of illuminated a challenge and being in the moment and not understanding how truly difficult it was going to be, and of course I thought about a story from my kids, because I always do, and we went out and we had Chinese this week, and... Caleb was insistent that he was going to learn how to read Mandarin because of the menu. And I was like, Bud, I don't think you understand how hard that is. It's got English on it. Why do you want to do it? And he said, that way I can know exactly what I am eating. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> go for it, Bud. And kind of embracing the challenge and being in the moment is something that we're going to kind of focus on today as we go through the four men that we were introduced to the last time we were together, but specifically focusing on Nathaniel. So turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. We'll do kind of a review while you're turning there and Sometimes people wonder why I review in the beginning, and it's because it's usually a couple of weeks between times that we're together, so I want to bring these things back up to the forefront of our mind. Now remember we said in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and that that word in Greek is logos, which is something like a divine logic or a creating force, how... The Trinity was present at the beginning of creation and Jesus Christ is eternal. And this is the the point that John is trying to start us out with, that Christ is the light of life and that the darkness could not overcome the light and it could not comprehend it. And he is the source of the light and he is the life of it. And then we talked about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But that word actually translates the tabernacle, which is a recall back to the book of Exodus in the same way that in the beginning is recalling back to Genesis. So John is constantly pointing us backwards towards the Old Testament as we continue to move forward towards Jesus Christ. And then we were together and we talked about John the Baptist. And we spoke about how in every single aspect of his life, he was a forerunner to Jesus Christ from the angel visiting the fathers to conception to birth to ministry to death and always john the baptist was making straight the way of the lord and then we talked about the four in john chapter one that first come to christ andrew peter philip and nathaniel and we focused on them a little bit and the one that we mostly focused on the last time we were together was the first one spoken of andrew and we talked about how andrew seemed to have this heart to constantly be bringing people to Christ. Now, he was a follower of John the Baptist, and when John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Andrew got up and and sought after Christ, and they met. And then Andrew went and got Peter. And as we continue to go through the gospel, we'll see that theme in Andrew's life continued as he is the one that brings the boy with the loaves and the fish to Christ in John 6. And in John 12, when the Greeks want to meet Christ, he is the one that will bring them to him. Even though they initially... Came to Philip first. And we talked about Andrew on Father's Day, and we kind of gave ourselves a little bit of a a Father's Day challenge, or a challenge as men, I guess, as husbands and fathers. Is the heart of Andrew within us? Are we bringing our wives and our children before Christ in prayer and in Bible study and allowing them to see the way that a godly man lives? Is the heart of Andrew within us and is it within us as a congregation as we branch out into the community, simply this desire to bring people to meet Christ? And then we talked about Peter and how Andrew would have had no idea of the relationship that Peter would have had with Jesus Christ when he initially brought him to him. But there's an aspect that John is making when he tells us about Peter and Christ's first meeting. If you take an aerial view of this, I guess you would describe it, and you look at the names, Peter was named Simon, and when he came and met Christ, he was named Peter, meaning rock. Simon means to hear, Peter means rock. So it's kind of this aspect of, The man who hears seeks Christ, and Christ turns him into a rock of faith. It's something like that when you see the story of Peter being introduced to Christ. And then we talked about Philip, and we kind of scanned over Philip real quick. But Philip is unique because as you read through the Gospels, you see that you can start to put together the relationships that people had with one another, and the relationships that were stronger than others. And when you read the other three Gospels, Philip is just kind of simply mentioned as one of the 12, but John expands on the life of Philip. In the Gospel of John, we know that when Jesus was getting ready to feed the 5,000, that Philip was the one he questioned about where they would get bread. When the Greeks came to meet Jesus, they initially went to Philip. And in John 14, Philip tells Jesus to show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And out of frustration, Jesus kind of goes off on him and essentially you have been with me this whole time how can you not have seen the father but the first thing that comes to mind when we look at the life of philip is the fact that philip was called by christ and then philip went to get nathaniel and nathaniel and jesus that little interaction is going to be the primary focus of us today it is much more and much deeper than what we initially read on the surface And there's some things hidden in it that I think we need to study. So if you've turned to John 1 already, we're going to be reading verses 45 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 45 through 51. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, we can kind of see Nathanael's initial reaction when Philip comes to him. You know, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? And almost as if he's annoyed and definitely skeptical of what Philip has been telling him. But then we see in verse 51, there's a specific Old Testament story that Christ brings to the forefront to tell Nathanael. And that is the story of Jacob's ladder. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 28. And we're going to very briefly look at the story of Jacob's Ladder. We're not going to to fully dive into it. But I just want us to kind of read this together so that it's at the forefront of our mind so we can see what Nathaniel is seeing or understand what Nathaniel is hearing in this moment. To kind of recap Jacob's Ladder, for those of you who are not too familiar with the Old Testament, you've probably heard of Jacob and Esau, right? They were two brothers. Their father was Isaac They were kind of constantly a turmoil with each other. When they were in the womb, they were fighting when they were at the time of birth. And as they were growing up, there was kind of this dissension within the household because Rebecca, their mother, favored Jacob, who was more of a homebody, and Esau was more of the strapping outdoorsman, and so his father Isaac favored him. And there was constantly this, this tension between the two. And then eventually we know that Jacob had Tricked Esau out of a birthright by taking advantage of him one day when he was exhausted and giving him some food, and then also when Esau was out of the house, he also tricked Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. Now the difference between a birthright and a blessing at that time, and why this mattered so much, was a birthright would usually go to the oldest son, and everyone would get, or the the male heirs would get, assets of the father after the father died. But a birthright would ensure that you would get a double portion. So his double portion was now gone, Esau's. And then a blessing from the father would kind of be like laying out God's will for your life moving forward. And Jacob had also taken that from Esau as well through deceit. Now, upon all of this, Esau's anger was growing towards Jacob until Esau finally it states that he was comforting himself with the thought of killing Jacob after Isaac died. And Rebekah had received word of this, and so she sends Jacob off to the land of her family to find a wife and to kind of stay there until Esau's anger subsides. And then she will call him back whenever it is safe for him to come back. So Jacob is on the run, going to a land that he has no idea where he's headed. And he rests one night. And as he rests, this is the vision that he sees. Genesis 28 chapter or verse 10 through 15. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So that is the story of Jacob's Ladder. And if you didn't keep your finger there, flip back to John chapter 1. Now, when we see the story of Jacob's ladder, what we're seeing is we're seeing this sinner, Jacob, this deceiver, this man that took what was not rightfully his. This man who is wandering through the wilderness on his way to a place that he does not know, taking rest and receiving grace from God, an invitation to commune with him that he did not deserve. Now, one theologian stated that it is true that Jacob may not have wanted this, but Jacob needed this. Jacob needed this moment with God to give him hope in moving forward. And the latter is an invitation from Jake, <clears throat> invitation for Jacob to commune with him. Now, many theologians state that just as John is drawing a parallel, it's some points to or pointing us back to Exodus and also pointing us back to Genesis. There's also this parallel going on between the Tower of Babel and Jacob's Ladder. The Tower of Babel being where man tried to reach heaven under their own works. And Jacob's Ladder being where an invitation was extended to man from God himself from the heavens. And thus you see the Pharisees trying to get there under their own work. And Jesus being the invitation, the ladder, extending us to the Father and as we, as we see in verse forty seven excuse me as we see in verse forty seven we see <coughs> Philip talking to Nathanael and telling him this is the one who Moses was speaking about. We have found the one who Moses is speaking about. Now we know that Genesis was obviously written by Moses and so we don't know exactly what portion <coughs> of the Pentateuch Philip would have been referring to, but we do know that that was probably something that Christ would have known when they had met. But before we get into verse 51 even more, it talks about something very specific that Nathanael is probably known for more than anything. That is, sitting under a fig tree. Is it not odd that these men were walking or they were doing something generic like sitting, but Nathanael specifically was sitting under a tree, but he wasn't just sitting under a tree, he was sitting under a fig tree. Have you ever kind of thought about that and asked yourself, why is that important? Well, there's two ways to look at the story of Nathaniel and Christ's initial meeting. One is through the lens of sarcasm and shock. Okay? So Nathanael answers sarcastically and then Christ cracks back at him, and then Nathaniel says, Oh, the king of Israel and then Jesus kind of ends it by shocking him by saying this this uh this prophecy about himself involving Jacob's ladder. And that kind of just ends the story. So that is one way that people see it is through the lens of sarcasm. But this is the way that I would see it. And whenever I was studying it, it's through the lens of the supernatural. Now, we talk about sometimes when we look back on ancient Judaism and what was going on in the culture of the time of Christ. There were different books, right? There were the Pentateuch and the Torah and the Talmud. And if I have the dates correct, I believe the Talmud was written between 500 and 200 BC. And it was essentially rabbis looking at the Old Testament, trying to figure out how different things should be done, different purification rituals, how life should be lived, all these different aspects. Well, it was written in the Talmud that a rabbinical student should find a peaceful place to study the law, a peaceful place to go whenever he was studying the law, studying the works of Moses, whatever, the, the prophets. And a lot of times that would be in the countryside under a tree. And since we're in the Middle East, fig trees were very prevalent. So when you look at Micah 4.4, 4, you will see the prophet talking about the vine of strength and the fig trees. And so these rabbis in the Talmud came up with this phrase to sit under a fig tree. If someone was sitting under a fig tree... They were seeking a place of peace to study the works of Moses and the law. And so when it states that Nathaniel is sitting under a fig tree, he could have physically been sitting under a fig tree, or he could have been studying something at the time. And when Christ tells him, I saw you doing this, whatever he was studying clicked and he immediately knew you're the one I was reading about. You are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. When I was in this place of peace studying, you saw me. And that is why there's this abrupt change from skeptic to believer in the life of Nathanael is because he was seen while he was under the fig tree. And going to verse 51 in Jacob's ladder, we know that this is a unique example because in the story we see that God extends a ladder from the heavens to the earth but when Jesus states this story to Nathaniel, he replaces the latter with himself. You will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, or on the Son of God. <clears throat> son of Man, apologize. And Jesus refers to himself oftentimes because it's believed that if he would have referred to himself as the Messiah, it would have been seen more of as a political move, or he would have been referencing himself politically. But when he calls himself the Son of Man, he is constantly going back to Daniel, and he is telling the people who he is over and over and over. This is not a political venue. This is the one who was spoken about. I am him. And so we know that this ladder that extends from the earth to heaven is Jesus Christ because of his dual nature. Jesus is fully God and fully man, so his man, the Christ that walked on the earth, is the rungs that are in the heaven. And Jesus, the divine aspect, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is what opens the heavens so that we can commune with him. And the cross is the ladder that is in between. And this is the point that he is trying to make. And Nathaniel recognizes this. Now, you'll see in your bulletins that we were going to go through chapter 2 as well. And we were going to begin looking at the wedding at Cana. And there's all sorts of things. In the wedding of Cana, you know, if you read in John 21, 2, you see that it's listed that Cana is actually Nathanael's hometown. So not only do Jesus and Nathanael have this amazing interaction, but then they go to Nathanael's hometown where Christ begins to perform signs. And the first sign that he performs is a sign of creation as he does this in the jars. Six jars specifically mentioned. And we were just going to take all of this and expand. But as I sat down and I was writing this outline, and I started to go into chapter 2, this question came to mind. And sometimes when you're reading scripture, Christ will bring something to your heart of the Holy Spirit, and you just kind of go with it and let it snowball. You think to yourself, that's an odd thing to be thinking about right now. I thought that the focus needed to continue to be on Nathaniel, and the question that came into my mind was, how did Nathaniel die? Well, that's kind of an odd thing to think about when you're reading that story of him and Christ meeting, isn't it? How did Nathaniel die? And so I got to researching how Nathaniel died, and church history kind of splits on this, but he died in one of two ways, more than likely. The first way was that he was tied up and he was flayed to death. But he was not flayed with a knife, he was flayed with a whip. The second way, according to Fox's book of Martyrs, is that he was beaten and he was crucified. But no matter what, almost every account agrees, no matter what the final mode of death was, he was more than likely flayed first before he met his end. And then I got to looking at all the other men that John the Baptist, or that John the Disciple is introducing us to. We go in order, we see John the Baptist, right? Imprisoned and beheaded not because of anything he'd done wrong but because a woman had entertained a king and had won the right to ask for anything she wanted And she simply asked for his head And then we see Andrew, right? We see what he was doing by bringing people to Christ But Andrew was crucified on two timbers that were crossed And this is known in the orthodox tradition as saint Andrew's cross Peter was crucified upside down Philip was beaten by soldiers and crucified and then Nathaniel met the end that he did. All of these men that were being introduced to met their demise, except for the first one speaking, who was John the disciple. Now, when you take this even further and you begin to look at dates, when was this gospel of John written? Now, a lot of times you'll see anywhere from 70 to 90 AD. The dates are kind of all over the place. But there's a Christian apologist, and I think his book's in the back. His name's J. Warner Wallace, and he is a cold-case detective. And he looks at, at different aspects of the New Testament and the Old and dates, and he kind of goes at it like it was a cold case that he was researching. And he states that John probably wrote this in the area of 64 to 70 A.D., somewhere in there, 64 to 70 A.D. So let's kind of split it in the middle and say 67, okay? Even if it was written as early as 67 A.D., about 33, 34 years after Christ's crucifixion. By that point, a majority of the 12 and even the Apostle Paul had already been killed and were dead at the time he's writing this gospel. As we move forward through the gospel of John, since it is the last one written, keep in mind that all the people that John is telling us about at this point were already gone, more than likely. They were already gone and had suffered martyrdom in some form or fashion. And yet when John is reflecting back on these people, he doesn't begin their story by telling us Peter who bravely died in a manner that was unlike his Savior so that he did not dishonor his Savior's death, or Nathaniel who was completed the Great Commission and suffered in this way so that he could be with God. No, he doesn't even mention their deaths as he's going through this gospel as we'll see. Instead... He focuses on them and what they had done for the kingdom and the way that their lives changed when they met Christ. He talks about John the Baptist being the last Old Testament prophet and being the one who was declaring make way, <clears throat> make straight the way of the Lord. And he focuses us on Andrew and how Andrew was bringing people to Christ and how Peter became this rock of faith and this relationship that Peter had with Christ. And the brassness of Philip and Nathaniel. The skeptic who became a believer. Now, the one thing that I'd like for us to take away from the story of Nathaniel as we go through our week here is that I don't want us necessarily to reflect on the demise of these four men and the ending that they came to. Instead, I want us to reflect on the power of witnessing. Remember, we talked about how when you look at the story of these four, you constantly see them after they meet Christ going out and telling someone else about Jesus. And we see what John was talking about, the light beginning to go out into the darkness and the darkness not overcoming it as these four continue to come to Christ and others. But seeing how Nathaniel initially questioned what he was being told by Philip and how his skepticism changed when he finally came in contact with Christ... Do not give up on witnessing and telling others about the love of Jesus Christ and the power of His grace and mercy and how He is extended from the heavens to the earth as Jacob's ladder and He is how we can come before the Father because of the sacrifice that He has made for us. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to have the elders come forward and we're going to have a few minutes of prayer. If you want to pray with your spouse or with yourself, you can do so. If you'd like to come and pray with an elder, you can do so. If you're a woman and you would rather not pray with a man, but you would like to still pray with someone, the elder's wives are Ellie and Diane, and I'm missing one. Where are you? Darla, in the back. (laughs) Please find someone and pray. And if, If you look at the lives of these men and you see that they did not know how they were going to end, they did not know the time. They were simply focused in this moment on a relationship with Christ Jesus. And if you have not had that, then I pray that you would take time today to build that relationship with him and trust him as your Lord and Savior. You guys are...